special thing happened to me at Ikea today. What happened? So I went for coupe glasses. Apparently, Ikea doesn't sell coupe glasses anymore, and I was super upset by it. Well, I have like well, 37 from Marjorie's oh, party. Right. <laughs> I have to get some from you. Um, So I went there. I didn't see that, but I found like a whole bunch of other just bullshit that I really don't need. But then I found the table that I wanted for my dining room. No way. Yes. It was sold out for months. And I mean months. And I couldn't get it. So I had I got another one. I was like, okay, that's fine. And it was not only the table there, but it was in the as is section already built. So I didn't have to put it together for $100. Incredible. Incredible. And your dining room is the one next to the cocktail room? Or well, there's like... Living room, cocktail room. There's like the formal dining room. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, this is like the formal dining room with like the bay window and like all the, you know, all my cocktail stuff. So so yeah, so it looks a little different than the last time you saw it. Um, So Christmas tree, we had to rearrange a couple things. I'm excited. Um, But yeah, I was so excited. So, and then there's me though, because I, you know, they don't give you any bags or whatever in there. So I was like, okay. So I had these mugs and these like rugs. I was like, okay. And I had to like put them down. I lifted up this entire table by myself and put it on an I felt like a lunatic. You probably looked like Gus from Cinderella trying to carry all the corn. I absolutely (laughs) did. I looked crazy. That's great. But I was really proud of myself. I felt like it was a good moment for me, a good moment for feminism. Um, And I'm super excited about that table. (laughs) I picked up a table and here I am. And here I am. Get used to it. But we're not here to talk about Ikea. No. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Mm -hmm. But just to remind you, if this is your first time tuning in, (laughs) we are drinking the entire time we're telling you these stories. And we are not technical historians so we're gonna absolutely do and say things that we both mean and don't mean simultaneously Mm -hmm. sometimes we correct ourselves later sometimes we don't no yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um and sometimes we get wonderful emails from you telling us what to correct and we love that we got one this week it was very kind (gasps) yes um and then we got a new patron this week rebecca denauer but did you see the email No, I didn't. Okay. So we got an email from Artemis and they were like, hey, look, like you guys are really awesome, but sometimes like the white privilege stuff is a little bit virtue signaling. And I was like, I totally hear you. Yeah. And I, I told this person, I was like, we've gotten that comment before. Yeah. And it depends on what episode you're listening to because we've tried to tone it down a bit. I was going to say, because I was like, I feel like we've like been trying really hard not to do that recently. I feel like we haven't done it in a while. We've toned it down a bit, but it depends. We've got 200 episodes. That's true. So So it's backlogged. Like, yeah. Yeah, we hit that hard definitely in the beginning. Um, We've had been working on it. So hopefully by the time you get here, it's not as annoying. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's important because it's a, it's a good way to remember that you're always redefining like your own language and Mm -hmm. the way that you place yourself in culture and the place, the way that you place yourself with other people. Like, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I love it. Keep them coming. Let us know what to do. We will do it. All right. Well, you're busy. (laughs) I'm Yes. You're busy. You are also lifting an Ikea table up over your head. Um, (laughs) And you have your AirPods in. You're in Ikea. Yeah. You're in Ikea. You're shopping. You're lifting. You're social distancing. You're shows with your mask and you just can't take your phone out and look up what these women look like. So Allie and I are going to describe them for you. So you have a beautiful picture in your head. Uh, 
before we start our episode, we are going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing two ladies this <laughs> evening. I am doing Gussie and Addie Van Buren, mm. better known as the Van Buren sisters. They were two well-bred American girls. Most pictures are of them at around the ages of 32 and 27. Other than a few free-flying wispies, their hair is tucked neatly under a leather riding cap. They both have really beautiful, whimsical smiles and like puffy cheeks when they smile. Addie was younger and had more of an oval face and Gussie was older and her face was more round. But their two most striking features were A, obviously their motorcycles, <laughs> and B, their male clothing that landed them in trouble on multiple <gasps> occasions. <laughs> and that's the... The Van Buren girls. Okay. <laughs> Who are you doing and what does she look like? Okay. So I am doing the story of the Cottingly Fairies. Um, so the Cottingly Fairies are quite a playful bunch. They are often depicted dancing. They are wearing loose, flowy dresses that look kind of Grecian. They are approximately nine inches tall. They have long, flowing hair and are, of course, made of paper. Um, the other two main characters in our story that we'll be talking about are Frances Griffiths and Elsie Wright, who are two young girls living in England. They have long, curly hair, fair skin, and are kind of dressed in traditional 1920s clothing. There's a couple pictures of them sometimes they, so it's over the years, so sometimes they have bangs, sometimes they don't. But in all the pictures, they just have this like very lovely, youthful glow about them. Oh, so we're both doing like multiple. Yes, we tonight. are. Again, not planned. Yeah. <laughs> this just happens. Um, but I would love to know what I'm drinking. It's beautiful. It's green. It looks yes. like a fairy. Yes. Um, it's very light and effervescent. Yes. Even though I haven't tasted it, is effervescent a taste or a look or both? But uh, I think it's a taste. Okay. Yeah, it's like a bubbly taste. And then this one is made with egg white, so it has like a lot of foam on top. It's like really just fun and pixie like um so this cocktail is the nixie pixie <laughs> it is two ounces of gin a fourth of an ounce of absinthe a fourth of an ounce of lavender rose simple syrup egg white juice from half a lemon and then you shake that all very very well and then you strain it into a glass and then you top it with sparkling pear juice um which i got from ikea <laughs> obviously pear juice i don't sparkling know have we juice. ever used pear juice before? i don't think so wow so cheers miss, um miss krista go to yes, the store go to ikea <laughs> mm. that's great i mean absinthe is just such a good obvious flavor and yeah i love it I love that we're using it for fairies, obviously. I know. I had to. You do have to. It's very um, important to use. Yes. and But I wanted to like a little bit of it because it is like such a strong flavor. Like I've made cocktails before where I put like, I'm like, yeah, a shot of absinthe. Like what am I, a lunatic? Like <laughs> it's just way too much. I fell asleep during a show in Vegas after having a massive absinthe drink, like passed out yeah. on the producer. And he was like, wake up. My boss is here. <laughs> It was oh. really embarrassing. I think we fought about it for like a month. Oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, Allie, before we get started, what do you know about the Cottingly Fairies? Okay. So I know we mentioned them briefly in another episode and that this was a request from our dear friend, Mora, mm -hmm. since we had that brief mention. Mm -hmm. um, I believe these two little girls made these 
fairies and mm-hmm. some pictures or images of them and then people thought they were real mm-hmm. kind of like a um Loch Ness monster sort of thing kind of yeah um but that's really all I know I don't know anything else about the story so okay. I'm very pleased to learn so Perfect. teach me teach me okay it's a really fun story um my favorite like coverage of it is obviously from Drunk History um but Drunk History UK and it is the funniest like little thing I've seen on there it's so good it's my favorite thing um and then I read the book the fairy ring by Mary Loesher um and uh she wrote a book about Francie and Elsie and their you know journey with the pixies and uh, a lot of it from Wikipedia so our story today starts off in a lovely area of England called Cottingley which is in West Yorkshire near Bradford in 1917 Elsie Wright is around 16 years old, and she has just made a great new friend in her cousin, Frances Griffiths, who is nine years old. And she has just moved in with them from Cape Town, South Africa with her mother. Wow. Yeah. Frances's father was called to serve in the Great War, so Frances and her mom came home for a bit to England where they ended up staying with the Wrights. When they first arrived, Frances had a bit of culture shock. (laughs) She was born in South Africa, so that's all she knew. She wasn't really a huge fan of the cold, and she was shocked when she picked up the snow on the ground and it was cold. She had only ever seen pictures of it, and she was like, I thought it was going to be like warm and soft like cotton and they're like, like a cloud. oh oh honey no <laughs> same though same yeah so she was a little nervous at first but her older cousin elsie was warm and welcoming and quote the type of person you feel like you've always known now this story obviously winds up about fairies and fun things but i want to paint the picture that this is a very serious time in london uh francis describes you know, I mean, she's nine years old right now. And she was like, yeah, I would go downstairs and read the newspaper every day and see the list of soldiers in our area who were dead, injured or missing. Scanning the newspaper for my dad every day, just so worried that he was going to die in this war. And the worry ended up having such an impact on her mom that she lost all of her hair. Oh the mother. Yeah, it was from vi- stress. Yeah, from stress. It wow. was very. Yeah, it was hard. Um, but when spring 1917 came along, Elsie was like, all right, girl, we got to get you out. So she takes Francis outside and shows her just how fun Bradford can be. They had these incredible gardens, which backed up, um, to a place called the Cottingley Beck. And the Beck was like this beautiful stream with a little waterfall and the girls just loved to play there. Um, but their mothers didn't like it so much because they always came back wet and muddy. (laughs) One day after a particularly fun and eventful day at the bottom of the garden, Elsie's mother really lost it. Uh, According to the book, The Fairy Ring, this was the first time she had ever really yelled at Elsie. She was like, God damn it. I keep telling you to stay out of that stupid water. Now you're all fucking wet. Why can't you stay out of the back? Oh my God. And Elsie is like, mama, mama, look, it's not our fault. It's because of, it's because of the fairies. And her mom looks at her and she's like, what are you talking about now either this mom or these kids read the bridge to terabith yeah exactly. <laughs> because they're just like off there <laughs> making up an imaginary world by a river yeah that's exactly it and she's like you deliberately disobey me and then you're spinning stories about fucking fairies and then francis pipes up to defend elsie and she's like no it's true 
And cosine, cosine. Cosine, yes. <laughs> and then the girls proceed to tell Elsie's mother that the bottom of the garden in their humble, cottingly abode is indeed chock full of fairies. Listen, girls wouldn't have to lie if you didn't yell at them about getting muddy. True. And by this point, Elsie's father is there and him and the mom look at each other and they just kind of bust out laughing. They're like, okay, like whatever fairies in the garden. Okay. And the girls are like, no, they're real. So <laughs> for the next couple of weeks, every time something happens, they're like, Ooh, Elsie, are you late from school because of the fairies? And are you not eating your vegetables because of the fairies? <laughs> and eventually they get so sick of it. Elsie gets like really mad. She's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to prove it. Okay. I'm going to prove it. And so they take Elsie's father's camera and they go off to find the fairies. Mm, brief aside <laughs> brief aside yes. on this my family after we moved into this house was making fun of me because i just put like the bag of cheddar cheese on the table anytime mm-hmm. we need shredded cheese mm-hmm. and they were picking on me so bad that for a weeks i started putting it in a china bowl every <laughs> single time i brought cheddar cheese to the table i was like fuck you guys yeah. <laughs> look it's not in a bag you yeah. happy so that's all they were doing oh my gosh that's all these girls were doing it's true it's all they were doing so they go out they come back apparently very triumphant and <laughs> mr wright goes off to develop the photo he was kind of an amateur photographer so we had um his own dark room kind of set up so he prints the photo and he sees Francis posing with a bunch of fairies dancing in front of her. And he's like, well, I'm surprised, but they also kind of look like paper. So you're still in trouble and you can't use my camera again. <laughs> <laughs> but then the mother, Polly Wright, looks at them and she is like, shit, I cannot believe that we have fairies in our garden. This is incredible. She is all in. <laughs> because you see, Polly Wright was a part of the Theosophical Society in England, which was a group of people who believed in supernatural things. Okay. So this society was founded in New York in 1875 by infamous charlatan Madame Blavatsky, who we absolutely have to cover because her story is insane. So Madame Blavatsky created this society in an effort to, quote, form an unsectarian body of seekers after truth who endeavor to promote brotherhood and strive to serve humanity. So from what I understand, it's basically like the idea that like Buddha and Jesus Christ and like Plato and Socrates and Cat in the Hat or basically every kind of person (laughs) we look up to like or believe in is a part of a higher order of people sent to save humanity. Oh, cool. Or something like that. (laughs) So they're like bodhisattvas. They're like coming here to assist yes the, yeah they're all coming here to assist and like the theosophists the theosophists were like okay we are now forming the group that will save humanity that's kind of like their thing they also have some elements of the freemasons thrown in there Yo, um, they'd be pissed right now oh my gosh it's so <laughs> fucking weird and complex and they still exist today they have a thriving youtube channel oh good so if you want to look more into that feel free Thanks. i did watch their christmas video Somebody, if you wild. if you guys want to help us change the world, yeah, here you <laughs> Come go. Come on in, join us. Um, but anyway, so one of the elements of theosophy is that like you kind of believe in these otherworldly things, such as gnomes and mermaids, and of course fairies. It's kind of like yeah, anything can be real. So two months after the first fairy photograph. Polly gives the girls the camera again, and she's like, do you think you could get another picture? So they come back a second time with a picture of Elsie holding her hand out to a little gnome. 
And there is a quote from this. Um, Elsie was playing with the gnome and beckoning it to come on to her knee. The gnome leapt up just as Francis, who had the camera, snapped the shutter. He is described as wearing black tights, a reddish jersey, and a pointed bright red cap. Elsie said there was no perceptible weight, though when on the bare hand, the feeling is like a little breath. The wings were more moth-like than the fairies and of a soft neutral tint. Elsie explained that what seems to be markings on his wings are simply his pipes, obviously, um, which he was swinging in his grotesque little left hand. I mean, the creativity of these children. I'm telling you, it's really, (laughs) what they're doing really is incredible. I mean, boredom is the mother of invention. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing. The girls love these photos. Francis even sent one of the photos back to a friend in Cape Town saying, you know, it's funny. I never used to see them in Africa. Must be too hot for them there. Um, and it was just supposed to be no like fairies I in know. Africa. <laughs> there are penguins in Africa. That's it's not true. Penguins. That's true. Um, and that's the whole thing. This was supposed to be just like a fun thing between the girls and probably would have just gone down in family lore. You know, like I feel like every family has that thing of like my grandmother swears that she saw a fairy in the garden. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a thing like that. Yeah. But when things started going off the rails, it was 1919. Um, Polly, the mom, attended a Theosophical Society meeting. And I mean, more people named Polly, more, though, right? No, this is the Polly mom. I know, but like, oh, hashtag, yes. <laughs> there should be more people named Polly and more people named Nellie. I agree. We have strayed from the truth. We really have. And that's the truth. Mm. So she goes to this meeting and they just so happen to be lecturing on fairies. And she's mm. like, oh my gosh, I'll bring the photos. They will be absolutely gobsmacked. And <laughs> she was right. They were like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you have proof. Let's present these bad boys at the next society conference. And that way everyone can see that we're not crazy and fairies are real. So the photos get to the big annual conference and people are just amazed by them. But no one is more excited than Edward Gardner, the president of the local theosophical group in England at the time. I feel like Edward Gardner is a name I've heard. Yeah, it's. But I also probably thirty-seven British men named Edward Gardner. I think yeah, absolutely. Okay, it also makes me think of Jennifer Gardner. That's probably it. Yeah, (laughs) with the perfect skin. Yes. (laughs) So Edward Gardner is like, oh my god, I think these are real. So he takes them to a professional photographer and he goes okay i think these are real do you think these are real and the guy looks at the photos looks at edward gardner and he goes these photos are absolutely 100 percent genuine unfaked photographs of single exposure open air work they show movement in all the fairy figures and there is no trace whatsoever of studio work involving card or paper models dark backgrounds painted figures etc well, clearly, this is not forensic files. <laughs> clearly, uh, Gil Grisham is not on the case. <laughs> now, they did talk to one they other might photographer. Have had Horatio yeah. <laughs> so they Deep did cut. talk to. One- <laughs> I loved it. They did talk to one other photographer, and he was like, "Yeah, it's inconclusive." Okay, good on him. Good and on him. I think what's actually going on is that no one wants to believe that two young girls could actually take such high-quality photographs. It's like the Secretary of State in Georgia. (laughs) Inconclusive, sir. Inconclusive. (laughs) Like, literally, fairies existing is more likely in their minds than girls being artistic and talented. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. I like that. 
I love it. And that's all Edward Gardner needs to start sending these photos out far and wide to all the theosophists he can find. <laughs> and one of those theosophists just so happens to be Sir Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle, Doyle. the author of Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And Arthur Conan Doyle is just completely blown away because he is a big old spiritualist. <laughs> He considered his spiritualist belief to be the most important thing in the world. (laughs) He once declared that he would gladly sacrifice whatever literary reputation he enjoyed if it would bring about a greater acceptance of his psychic message. Sounds like Amy March. Mm-hmm. Most important <laughs> thing. Most important thing. <laughs> well, uh, some even refer to him as the Saint Paul of Spiritualism. Ooh. Now, to shine a little bit of light on this, um, as we have talked about before, spiritualism in the U.S. became really popular in the late 1800s after the Civil War ended. People had lost so much family in the war that they were just desperate to communicate with them. And in England in the 20s, the exact same thing was happening. The Great War has just ended and brought about just unspeakable tragedy to the UK. And people, again, are desperate for a way to communicate with the dead and kind of make sense of this insane war that they had just witnessed. And as we all know, desperation is one of the root causes of scamming. (laughs) Now, a lot of people had already caught on to the fact that spiritualism was fake, One of these people was famed escape artist Harry Houdini. (laughs) And the reason he didn't believe in this is because he used to take part in said scamming. (laughs) And at first he was like, all right, like, I don't really care. Like, people can just do whatever they want. They can believe what they want to believe. But, like, I don't really give a fuck. But then he became very good friends with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And... Doyle made it his life mission to win Houdini over to spiritualism. Not going to work. And it yet yeah, it is not. And he was like, come on, just come to some seances with me. It'll be great. I guarantee you, you will be a spiritualist by the end of tonight. Listen, Mr. Sherlock, <laughs> go after Chris Angel. Let not me tell Houdini. You. So in 1920, Houdini goes to a seance put on by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and his wife. And she's like, okay, I'm a medium. And we're going to talk to your mom, Cecilia. And Houdini's like, okay. And he's like rolling his eyes. Um, And so she goes into a trance and she's like writing things down. And like, he's like, you got that wrong. You got that wrong. You drew a cross on the paper. She was Jewish. <laughs> like just all these things where he was like, I know this is fake. And you know, this is fake. Just fucking stop it. But he didn't want to hurt his friend's feelings. So he just kind of thanked them and left. But afterwards, Doyle started spreading the word around town that he had finally convinced Houdini that spiritualism was real and Houdini is pissed and he ends up getting so fed up with all the bullshit that he was like, okay, that's enough. And he made it his life purpose to expose all of these frosters, fraudsters. So Houdini starts putting on these disguises and he goes around to all these seances and he'll like sit through the whole thing and then pop up and be like, bullshit. And proceed to tell everyone in the room exactly how the illusion was done. <laughs> Houdini's a big old hater. <laughs> <laughs> what a bitch. I know. I love it. I, d- I really like that. I, you know what? If you're going to be bitter, be bitter. Oh, my gosh. 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah. Better. And he is going on lectures all over the world about how this is all fake and their tricks and, like, you shouldn't believe it. And then Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is like, I thought we were fucking friends. And he's like, well, I'm going to go on a lecture circuit and tell everybody how it is real. 
and this starts like a big feud between them. This is like the Hamilton Burr situation. (laughs) Unbelievable. And of course, this just so happens to be the year that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle gets his hands on photographic proof of fairies. And that's the only reason I told that story about Houdini and him, because now he's like, I can fucking show him, and now he's going to look like an idiot. (laughs) But like Edward Gardner, he wants to make sure that they're real. So Gardner and Doyle start writing letters to Elsie, (laughs) asking her questions about the fairies. They start sending her books and chocolates and little gifts, just like anything to kind of get her to reveal more information about the fairies. (laughs) This poor little girl. I know. But finally, like, Doyle's like, okay, look, I need boots on the ground for this. And he sends Edward Gardner back out to Cottingley and says, give those girls some cameras. I will pay for them and have them take more photos of the fairies. (laughs) Are you picturing Luna Lovegood when you see these girls? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's what I'm picturing. Absolutely. Be nice to the gray ladies. She's shy. (laughs) Now, at this point, Elsie's father is getting pretty fed up because he is like, Elsie, what the fuck? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's reputation is at stake. Just admit that you made it up. And she's like, "Mm, well, I can't because I didn't. Now, excuse me. I need to escort my guests to the garden. Uh, if you hadn't yelled at me for getting yeah, muddy, exactly. then this would have never <laughs> happened, Dad. Oh, so Gardner goes to Cottingley and he interviews the girls extensively about the pictures. He's like, okay, well, why can't other people see the fairies? And they're like, well, as soon as other people come around, they scatter. And he's like, well, when do they like to come out? And they're like, bright, sunny days. They don't really care for the rain. Like they have kind of like little answers for everything. And then he's like, okay, well, could you do it again? Get more pictures? And they're like, yeah, of course we can. So they go back out and take the last three Cottingley fairy photos. So there are five total. The first is Frances with a leaping fairy coming right up to her face. And then there's a picture with Elsie kind of leaning her face into a grove of trees, meeting a fairy who is offering her a flower. And the third one or fifth one total is actually the most controversial. Hmm. It's called Fairies and Their Sunbath. And while other photos include the girls, This one is just of the fairies and it's the only one where they don't clearly look like paper. They look like they're made of some kind of like sheer fabric or tissue paper. They're delicate, but detailed. And to be honest, like I really don't know how they captured this photograph. Okay. I'm trying to look them up. I can't. Where are they? Okay. Hold on. Because I, because I not researched this, I don't know which one. Okay, they... so this is like the first one they ever took. Okay, yeah, that's beautiful, but looks like Clear, a scene from Fantasia. Clearly paper, clearly yes. paper, clearly um, like on the scene. And then this one is like slightly more convincing. That's the one of like the fairy kind of jumping out to her. No, yeah, I like that. Yeah. And then I'm going to show you the fifth and final photo. Yeah, that's all I want to see. I want to see this controversial photo because I feel like it's the one that's going to convince me. Yeah. That Orlando Bloom was a fairy that had his (laughs) wings cut off. Another deep cut. Right? Like, that one is so different. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, like, and you keep kind of seeing little movements of, like, it's really an insane photo. Yeah, it's almost like sheer fabric. Yeah, that's um, what it looks like. But the faces of the fairies in this sheer fa- fabric, like looking at you, like peeking. Mm-hmm. This one's very, 
pretty convincing, good. right? These girls should have been hired by someone to I do. I know. Either that or they actually finally yeah. got a picture. It was like before they were talking to the fairies, but the fairies were like, no photos, please. Yeah, exactly. And now this time they were like, listen, we have a Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, and what made the photos more convincing like to Edward Gardner is that he marked the plates in a way that he could detect any common photo tampering methods, such as like double exposure and other things or whatever they are. I don't really know. But they're just taking fucking pictures. But they're just taking pictures. <laughs> so like they're taking photos just by snapping them. They're not doing anything but like, you know, setting the scene. So like it can't be like traced what they did. <laughs> so Doyle doesn't need any more convincing. And in December of that year, he wrote an article in Strand Magazine called The Fairy Photographs. And he is just so thrilled to finally show the world that fairies are real. And the year after that, he writes an entire book dedicated to the subject called The Coming of the Fairies, in which he starts off the book by saying, The series of incidents set forth in this little volume represent either the most elaborate and ingenious hoax ever played upon the public or else they constitute an event in human history which may in the future appear to have been epoch-making in its character. So he's kind of admitting that he's like, either it's bullshit or... It's great. It's fantastic. Which, I mean, roll the dice, man. Roll the dice. He rolled them. He rolled them. (laughs) All bets down. All bets. And the reaction was not quite what he thought it would be. He really convinced himself that everyone in the world would become a spiritualist after this. But it was kind of the opposite. People were like, how could a man who is so good at writing plots about solving mysteries with science and medical knowledge and just pure logic be so wrapped up in a fantasy, like just something that completely defies logic and reason? But he wasn't bothered. Apparently, he wrote to his mom and said, well, I don't really care what anyone thinks. I have a good strong hide. (laughs) Good for him. Good for him. You know what? He was like, he literally was just like, I don't care if everyone thinks I'm insane. I believe in fairies and that's okay. And this is fun. Yeah. And the thing is like, I was reading the book, the, um, the fairy circle. And one of the things she writes in it, she's like, look, the thing you have to know about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is like his father was put into like a mental asylum when he was 17 and his son was killed in the great war. Right. And he obviously battled like substance abuse issues and fame issues. And like, For him, if fairies could be real, it just brought, like, a little bit more happiness into the world. Right. And it's also, like, who cares? Who cares? Oh, my God. Yes. And also, this is what we need of good fiction writers. Mm -hmm. Like, he writes insanely great fiction novels. Yeah. Like, okay, he can believe in fairies because guess what? He's going to, like, print fairies on your page and they're going to seem real to you. So Mm -hmm. back up and just... Let him do what he's going to do. do it. Minus the substance abuse. I hope you feel better, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but of course, there were loads of people who did believe the story. And even though he had changed the names of Elsie and Francis to protect their identity, it soon came out. And the girls were being absolutely mobbed for interviews. And uh, then these like two young girls all of a sudden have the biggest newspapers in England, basically calling them big liars. The Times of London wrote... I would suggest to Miss Elsie that she carried her little joke quite far enough and that she should tell the public what the quote unquote fairies really are. And then when they went back to school, they were teased relentlessly. And in her autobiography, Frances said that that's what she hated the most. 
that people looked at her as if she wasn't normal for years. And she swore that she would never take another photograph ever again. And then like people were coming and they were like, all right, well show us the fairies. And then these little girls would have to like go out with these like older men into this garden and be like, I'm sorry, they're not here today. And that like, there's like one that she writes about and she was like, I just never wanted to see a fairy ever again. Like I was so sick of the whole fucking thing. Like it was really crushing to especially Francis. Like Elsie kind of liked the attention, but Francis was like, I'm so done with it. And the fucked up thing is like Francis is the one that really felt like she saw fairies. So she was one that believed it the most, but was the most crushed by the attention. It's 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 a horrible story. These are the this is the reason kids need YouTube. <laughs> If only they had YouTube. Make your damn videos <laughs> and then grow up. <laughs> grow up. Now, the funny thing is that these fairies that were obviously made from paper just so happened to come from a book called Princess Mary's Gift Book. It was a collection of stories for children. Uh, it was like stories, poems, all sorts of little things. Uh, it included works from Rudyard Kipling, J.M. Barry, and of course, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, the very pictures that fooled him were copied from a book in which he was also published. <laughs> so they're like, they're like cutting out paper yes. dolls that he was in the... Okay, that's perfect. <laughs> and that's basically what Elsie did. She like copied the fairies, but she would add wings. She would color them, which we can't really tell from black and white photos. But like, she is an extremely talented artist. I want to make that very clear. Like what she does is amazing. Um, and they happen to come from a poem um, called Spell for a Fairy by Alfred Noyes with illustrations by Claude Allen Shepperson. Um, so I just want to give him credit since he, you know, really did draw the fairies. He drew the fairies. Yes. That are in these <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, this poem has a lot of like weird steps that you have to take in order to attract a fairy. I won't recite the whole poem, but I'll give you a little taste Chalk in case on the you'd like cell? to meet a fairy. Ice cubes in the toilet. Bring the Pajamas blood of a white out? hen. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so we're not going. Yeah, snow. we're not going. Snow we're going and nice like things. blood of we're the going father. like a cult. Yeah, we're going a cult. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're um, going Harry Potter, Voldemort type. Bring him to life. Okay. Bring the blood of a white hen killed about the break of day while the cock in the echoing glen thrust his gold neck every way over the brambles peering, calling under the ferns with a sudden fear far and wide while the dews are falling, clamoring, calling everywhere round the crimson vial go on the hilltop in the dawn singing softly on tiptoe nixie pixie leprechaun that's why i named the cocktail that <laughs> and if once will not suffice do it thrice if this fail at break of day i can show you a better way bring her from the smoky city set her on a fairy throne clothe her feed her of your pity leave her for an hour alone which is not what all of us want just an hour alone <laughs> honestly <laughs> Queen Victoria included. <laughs> um, a, what's about the break of day is my first question. Is that pre the break of day or post? Gracious. About the break of day. I think it's actually a little wider time frame. I think you can do pre it before or after. Pre and post. I think it encompasses the whole about. Oh, okay. And then you have to do it three times mm -hmm. if you didn't get it the first time. Yes. 
which is very you mentioned peter earlier like simon peter which is very funny like denying but before the cock crows three uh-huh. times this is very chicken-esque yeah <laughs> this is a very chicken bible thing happening here yes this is actually a poultry podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because for people <laughs> this is dark but for people who follow my personal instagram they know that my grandmother passed this week mm-hmm. and i've been helping my mom with stuff and we were on the phone today and she was like you're the rock of the family <laughs> and i was like yeah i'm like simon peter i'm an asshole but you can build a church on me and she goes, don't use that language in front of my granddaughters <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> we were on the phone. Oh my gosh. Anyway, Peter's been on the mind. Oh, good. Well, if yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about that. That's a great poem. Chickens, fairies. I'm gonna. We should try it. We should. Except they don't want to kill. Get a me chicken. a cock. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't want to kill a chicken. I don't either. I have no. I can't even like cut chicken like from the store I, I have to have Casey do it I hate doing it no I'm not a big animal killer type person <sighs> okay so and actually this entire book fun fact is available for free online in case you would like to read the stories or see the beautiful illustrations hmm. um now this all didn't come out until much later um and thankfully everyone's lives kind of went back to normal for a little while as for Francis and Elsie they grew up got married had children and kept their secret for a very long time Francis quote, danced the Charleston, wore pearls, and eventually settled down with a young soldier and had two children. Elsie moved to America and, as the book says, met a man named Frank Hill who liked to laugh just as much as she did. And they moved to India together. That's fun. I know. And she spent the rest of her life traveling the world, sending Francis postcards from all over India, Egypt, Malaysia. She wrote letters of the pyramids, the Himalayas, trekking through the jungle, riding horses on the beach. Like, Elsie was living her very best life. Like Rose Dawson for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, now Elsie did admit in the 1980s to her family that they were indeed paper cutouts, and she like showed them the book. She's like, "This is where I got them," and then the word got out, and Elsie. Well, yeah, a secret is literally just you. Yes. And Once you tell one person, oh my gosh. it's over. Like a cat in a bag. Um, so Elsie and Francis were then in dark, the papers. Dark. <laughs> really dark. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant like a cat in a hat. It's a little nicer. Um, <laughs> and then it's like the 80s. <laughs> They're in the papers all over again, and they're like old women. And they're like, damn it. Like, there's a scene where Francis is like, I was sitting at home, and I saw a truck pull up in front of my house that said BBC on it. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no more, please. I know. And then they're being called liars and hoaxers yet again, which really upset Francis because she really did believe in the fairies. And... I just, I feel so bad for her. And she died in 1986, the year you were born. Um, And she maintained until the very end that she had really seen them. Like she admitted, she was like, the first four photos are fake. But the last one, the sunbathing pharaohs, pharaohs, fairies, (laughs) fairies. She goes, that was the real deal. And maybe for a kid who lived through both world wars in a war-torn country, stressed about her father and then her husband being killed every day she just needed to believe in fairies to make the world a happier place 
And if that's what you need to get through hard times, then that's okay with me. And that's the story of the Cottingly Fairies. I love it. <laughs> I love it. so fun? It is so fun. <laughs> Did you know that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle would be such a big part of it? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Because um, we're all in on him with the Anola Holmes now. Mm-hmm. It's not even his work. Mm-hmm. But that was wonderful. I, I love the creativity and art of these young women and they're just so young and people just couldn't believe it because they were girls yes exactly like young boys were off playing like army and knights all the time but it's like let me get a hold of this camera and it didn't even have to be girl it could have been anyone but technology during the world war one era yeah incredible so thank you maura for that amazing request i had so much fun researching this um So, yeah. So that's it. You ready for more drinks? I am ready. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. Bye. Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the Pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and rating a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. <laughs> um. So between the months of November and February... Mm-hmm. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out my shade of foundation. Uh-huh. And it happens to me every year. You know, I get very dark yes. in the summer mm-hmm. and then immediately get pale. Yep. And yep, I yep. like I have the biggest fluctuation of skin yeah. tone that I've ever <laughs> met in a human being ever. I don't understand it. I, I mean... I, Similar to all my problems. That's why I've just run away from it. That's why I just don't <laughs> use foundation. Put on your trainers and get out. I like really had a serious look at myself and I was like, should I start wearing makeup? Like, I just feel like the circles around my eyes are getting deeper. And I was like, no, no, no. Katie, we've been through this before. Don't set the standard. Just don't Lotion, set the standard. water, sleep. Yeah. Lotion, water, sleep. Those are the things. I, uh, I just... It's one of those things you're kind of, it's like one of those problems that like I think truly like only money can solve is like the makeup issue because like if you can afford the better like makeup and skincare products then like you probably don't have that problem as much but I also I don't know. Hey. So I don't have that much money. So. <laughs> I do and still. I don't know. Someone no. needs to tell us what's up. Yeah, somebody needs to give me some problem. powder foundation. Can you fix Ooh, me? Are you a liquid foundation person? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I rub it in like <laughs> bathing oil. It's very odd. Yeah. I, I put it on like sunscreen. I like a powder. 
I'm not gonna lie. I like a powder. It's lighter for sure. <laughs> I, I like to feel like I'm suffocating <laughs> in my makeup. Die, pores, die. Uh, <laughs> I said that to producer the other day. I was like, "How come you never break out?" And I do, and we're the same age. And he was like, "Cause I don't rub poison on my face all day, you psycho." I would also like to point out though that I don't rub poison on my face, and I break out all the fucking time. Well, you guys I have horrible are related, skin. So what the Hell. I don't know. Unfair. Our jeans are all Unfair. over the place. Unfair. Ah, like a denim Ooh. jean car Jacket. exploded. <laughs> it's going to make a really good say like a, if a Levi truck exploded. <laughs> Our jeans are all over the place. But I didn't say it but at that's all. Good. That's good. You did it. Um, <laughs> do you want to know what this did is? It. Yes, I do. It looks delicious. <laughs> kind of looks like Slimer from the Ghostbusters. I love it. Um, so this is called... If she will. Ooh, okay. And if you don't know about these girls, they do make a transcontinental motorcycle journey. So I tried to include a lot of ingredients from like different portions of their journey. So there is some whiskey. Okay. There is melon liqueur, which we've never used before. We've used sour apple pucker and we've used watermelon liqueur Ooh, but not melon. melon liqueur is like they put cantaloupe on the front uh-huh. but it's green wow what a terrible melon to choose uh-huh, well, really all melons are bad yeah, i'm just so gonna they come out and put say a honeydew it. on the front if yeah. it was green <laughs> um and then it's um mint leaves and paprika Ooh. and then it's topped with ginger beer and there's just mint all shaken into it i love it well cheers cheers mm. It's dusky. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> dusky. Yeah. It's very odd. It's very odd. That melon liqueur. Whew. Yeah. The whiskey barely bites. It does. And honestly, I'm I'm shocked with how little the um, ginger is coming through. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's all that paprika and mint. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Happy 2021. <laughs> Tagline. No, gross. I love it. <laughs> okay. okay. Tell me what you know about the Van Buren sisters. Literally, all I know is that like they took a like a motorcycle trip across the country. They did. They and that's did like that. all I know. So I'm yeah. super excited because like. They were just kind of like on. They're always like on the list of like female daredevils you should know or explorers or whatever. So I'm curious as to what else they did because that's like all I really know. Yeah, there's, you know, that is the main story, right? They rode their motorcycles across the North American continent, yeah. which is like the main story. But there, it's a lot that you have to piece together because there isn't one succinct thing. So. Uh, the Van Buren family does have an LLC that you can look at their like website and whatnot to learn about these girls. Obviously, Wikipedia. Then I looked at articles from Mental Floss, Adventure Journal, History Today, Indian Motorcycles, and their great nephew, Robert Van Buren, is now a historian. So there there's lots go. of quotes from him all over the place. Excellent. <laughs> so we've got two ladies here that we're cover- covering. Adeline and Augusta Van Buren, and they were born into a life of privilege. They were descendants of Martin Van Buren, our eighth president, 
in the United it's States. It's funny because I was going to make a joke about Van Buren. I was like, there's no way. Yeah. It's kind of like how my grandmother claims that we're related to, who is it? The Adams. The Adams. Yeah, John Adams. John <laughs> Adams. I was like, Granny, I don't think that's true, but. Hey, they have that last fine. name, so. That's true. And they're in this region. <laughs> that's true. We're on the east. Yep, that's true. If we were in Canada, it'd be much less likely. <laughs> Maybe not. They were in like Boston <laughs> or New York. They're much closer. <laughs> so because of this, they had like this safe, respectable experience of like society women. And they could have just like grabbed hold and taken it. But Augusta, the oldest of the two sisters, she was born in March of 1884, and Adeline was born in July of 1889. They were raised in New York City with their little brother, Albert, and they enjoyed an active lifestyle of athletics. They were like, I'm not going to sit down and just do nothing. So they would go on these adventures. They had this streak of, like, daredeviling. They they learned how to fly airplanes. And then they learned how to handle themselves in a boxing rink. And (laughs) then they learned how to race horses. And then, of course, they learned how to ride motorcycles. And female motorcycle riders were not unheard of at this time in America, but it was extraordinarily rare Mm -hmm. by the time they could do it. So in 1916, the U.S. was on the brink of joining World War I. And eager to do their part for the war... They they wanted to contribute other than just like, you know, sewing socks and growing a victory garden. Right. Right. They were like, I can do this. But women were flat out barred from combat and they didn't disagree with that. They were like, we understand that we can't go and fight. But they were bikers who had logged thousands of miles on their vehicles. And they're like, we're totally qualified to be a part of dispatch Mm -hmm. missions. So. Their goal is to convince the military that they can and women can be a part of dispatch missions. So at this point, they have this thing in the nation of the United States called the preparedness movement, which was a movement to set like strength in the U.S. military and then make sure that when the U.S. finally does join this war, they're ready to go. Mm hmm. The sisters wanted to prove that they could ride just as well as men and that they could free up women to be dispatch riders so that men could fight on the front lines. So they're not trying to take men's spaces. They're trying to allow more men to be fighting if they're doing the, you know, behind the scenes stuff. Right. Pretty much a dispatch rider is a female courier who would race between intelligence outposts. They were like a messenger. You would give them a message. They would ride their motorcycle to the next fort. Right. And then everyone along the way would be like, that's a dame. She can't be in any sort of. Just a little lady. Oh, how? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I. That's what they wanted. Every time I think of motorcycles, I think of this weird older guy that I used to hang out with a lot, um, which is really inappropriate um, (laughs) when I was younger. And and I remember one time he goes, he was really into motorcycle. And he goes, well, you know, Katie, four wheels moves the body and two wheels moves the soul. I was like, shut up. I'm here for that. Your brother-in-law has a motorcycle with a wolf on it. Like, calm down. Who? Oh, Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm all here for motorcycles. I think they're so fucking cool. But that guy did not be needed to tell a 17-year-old me that. He no, was like no, no. 30. 
No. <laughs> Willie What's Nelson with did me? not need to tell you that. Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was dating Willie Nelson when I was 17. Willie Nelson, get out of here. Uh, <laughs> they also hoped that them riding motorcycles and being in the military would take away the primary argument against women being allowed to vote. Because this is 1916. It's three years before women were allowed to vote in the United States. And one of the main arguments, while women shouldn't vote because they don't have to be sent off to war, so they shouldn't be allowed to vote for the person who's going to send them to war. So they're really hoping that, that they can fix this. So... For their ride, obviously, they every time they ride, they dress in like a military style leggings with leather riding breeches over top. But it was really taboo and actually in, illegal in many states for women to wear pants at this time. But they weren't wearing pants in their eyes. They were wearing protective gear. Right. It was a motorcycle <laughs> uniform, not pants. Because they there are pictures of them wearing traditional female clothing. Right. I, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what that could equate to. And I just can't even think of it. It's like if you're like, like if you considered like helmets, like <laughs> yeah. gendered, it's like, you're wearing a helmet and that is for men. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but I, I'm not wearing because I like love helmets. Like I'm wearing it to fucking protect myself. <laughs> exactly. It's, I need this. Yeah, I need it. Thank you. It's, no, you know what it's like? It's like helmets and lacrosse. Yes. So it's like boys have pads and all this gear and they're like, we don't want the girls to be as violent. So we're not going to give them all the gear. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but now we're all getting concussions and being blinded. Being blinded. <laughs> yes. Can we please they're have like, the gear? Fine. Here's a fence for your eyes. <laughs> That's only. exactly what. Only your eyes. <laughs> your temples are purely exposed. No checking. Okay, fine. A mouth guard. You can have a mouth guard. We want you to have God, your teeth so you can smile when up. I ask you to. <laughs> Yeah. You know, the point of a mouth guard is actually so you don't bite your tongue while playing. There you go. There you go. At least that's what I was told. <laughs> so Might they could not even shut be you true. Up. <laughs> uh, sometimes I just want to f- mold a mouth guard just for the hell of it. Yeah. It's a really fun experience. It is. You got to put it in that water. Oh, you got to boil, boil it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know what? I miss boiling rubber. <laughs> <laughs> and then biting it. Ew. Stop. Just get some gum, Katie. Damn. <sighs> All right. I'm off the rails tonight. Yeah. I'm off the rails. That's okay. You're <laughs> drinking paprika. <laughs> it's allowed. So what they're what they ride are this a thousand cc indian power plus motorcycles and this was a high-end motorcycle at the time obviously because they're kind of rich girls and they sell for 275 dollars a piece they have gas headlights and no skid tires gas headlights are obviously important because it would allow them to ride through the night if they needed to so let's move into this journey okay Augusta, or Gussie, as she liked to be called, Van Buren, was 32 years old when they took off on this journey. And Adeline, or Addie Van Buren, was 26 when they left, but all the pictures are 27 because it was like three days before her birthday. 
The trip was planned that they would travel 3,800 miles from coast to coast, east coast to west. They would start at Sheepshead Base Racetrack in Brooklyn, New York on July 4th, and they would head to Lincoln Highway, which ran from Times Square, New York City, to Lincoln Park in San Francisco. Surprisingly. What? Yeah. They're connected. No. Oh, <laughs> not really. Surprisingly, 85% of their journey was spent getting out of traffic in New York. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Just kidding. It wasn't. But New York traffic sucks. So they're leaving on Independence Day, and there's a reason for this. They're saying, and Gussie famously said, women can if she will. And mm. that's the name of the cocktail. And I also love it because it's not saying every woman should ride a motorcycle from coast to coast. Yeah. It's if she wants to, yeah. she can do it. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true of being in the military or yeah. of voting or of men in the military. If you want to, it's possible. So it's important to remember That this was a daunting task because at the time there are no roadmaps west of the Mississippi River. Oh, shit. During World War One, no roadmaps. The roads were cow passes, dirt trails, ragged trails. There's poor roads. There's heavy rain. There's mud. There's natural barriers like the Rocky Mountains. The point is this is really far from paved. And in the west, there's very few places to get fuel and food and water and there's no lights above oh your my head gosh, i didn't even think about that yeah. there's no street lights in the desert there's nothing <gasps> in the mountains or the desert or anything west of the mississippi is just not fully paved oh, i can't even imagine how dark it is out there very and heavy rain is like completely flooding out sections of the road and wind would blow the sisters off their bikes they were just like all alone exposed to all the elements and like i said lincoln highway technically connected new york to san francisco but highway denotes a much grander thing than what actually existed right. it wasn't like a real highway it was just like a path right i'm sure it's like an old wagon trail it's like a zigzaggy path like laura Ingalls wilder was on that shit like last week exactly <laughs> lewis and clark were like oh my <laughs> god this looks great <laughs> <laughs> oh my favorite road you mean <laughs> <laughs> Turn left at the 7 Eleven. Um, and by that, I mean the seven rocks and the 11 more rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, past, past the peak of death. <laughs> so they also, when we talk about riding gear, they didn't technically have helmets. They were just goggles and a leather cap. They're totally exposed to elements, but to prepare, they really did practice. They drove long distances all over New York on their motorcycles. They were growing accustomed to being on a bike all day, being exposed to the elements. They're testing all their gear. They're testing their clothes. They're seeing how much they can pack. But during their ride, they dealt with much more than physical features. (laughs) They dealt with social barriers, which were much bigger than the Rockies. After a really uneventful beginning on July 4th, taking off from New York and heading west, they ended up in the very absurd Midwest of this country. (laughs) (laughs) 
where they saw women coming in in pants and on motorcycles and without a chaperone. And they were like, oh, my. <laughs> so, so just west of Chicago, the girls were pulled over by the police, not for the way they were driving, which is why I get pulled over, <laughs> but for the way they were dressed. So we're at the tail end of the Victorian era, which had placed extreme limitations on women. So they, you know, we were slowly switching to non-corseted dresses and it's the suffragette movement. But before the 1920s and World War One, it was actually illegal in most states for women to wear pants. So the girls' leather riding pants would continue to get them arrested time and time again, which really delayed their journey. They wanted it to be a one-month journey from coast to coast. And it just, they just keep getting arrested and detained. So they just can't keep moving. It's so ridiculous, too. Because, like, what do you want me to do? Wear a dress and ride this fucking motorcycle side saddle? Like, it's one of the politics of pants is a lot of the reasons they were withheld was because it was literally, even if it was subconscious, to keep women from doing things that men could do. Yeah. And it's just a sad situation. Yeah. But by August, they're in Colorado and they're already a month behind and they're kind of pissed off because they just wanted to do it and be in the newspapers and be like, now we can join the war. (laughs) But they're a month behind. So they get this devil may care attitude and they decide, hey, we're here. Let's go on a detour. We're going to be the first women to reach the summit of Pikes Peak by a motorized vehicle. Whoa. So they drive up Pikes Peak, which is... The tallest mountain in the southern Rockies. Okay. Like the ones in the contingent United States. They get bigger as you go up through Canada and Alaska. Mm -hmm. But this is like the highest peak like in our little little area. Okay. Unfortunately, rain is just like pelting them. And the mountain dirt paths are like sucking in with mud. You know, like it's like sucking the bikes, the tires. It's just terrible. So they're just mercilessly trapped. They're exhausted. They're freezing. They're trying to get the their bikes out. They're covered in mud. And these two ladies, they have to abandon their bikes <gasps> and seek help on foot. Oh, my God. In the Rocky Mountains. No. They walk. Where's for- John Denver? He needs to help them. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> they are in Colorado. Give them an old Rocky Mountain high. <laughs> They're going to find some boys. Don't worry. Ooh, cute boys. <laughs> No. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Okay. They walk for miles and hours and find a little mining town in Colorado. And these two women, beautiful faces, like rich girl faces, covered in mud, emerge from the rock <laughs> into this mining village. And the boys are like, what? <laughs> what? Who are they? I mean, their eyes are just shooting out of their head. <laughs> it's a real wow, Azuga wow. moment. <laughs> um, so the miners, of course, give them food and rest, and then they walk them up to the mountain and help them dig their bikes out so that they can keep going. Aww. And there's, like, really cute pictures of them in this area. So a lot of the newspaper pictures we get are when they were stuck in towns like this, yeah. where people are helping them. But... A hundred miles west of Salt Lake City, they hit another disaster. The Mormons. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was terrible. Just kidding. We love you, Mormons. (laughs) (laughs) That would be 
Utah. Oh, wait, that is Utah. So yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Not the Mormons quite yet. Okay. <laughs> the winds were high on this desert path and they're like desperately low on water and they lose their trail in like a dust storm and become disoriented from not having any water to drink. They're dehydrated, but the Yukon Cornelius, this prospector <laughs> comes along and has a cart full of supplies there and he just like, here's some water, here's some food. And also I know how to get where you're going. So just like, <sighs> here's the directions and just gives them directions to get to the next place. Go, you're my angel. You're my <laughs> That's probably what they were saying. Shaggy? Shaggy. We went, you went shaggy on this one? <laughs> wow. Wowza. Cornelius Shaggy. <laughs> Listen, if that's not the song you dance to at your wedding, I don't want to come. Oh, it's on the playlist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then it wasn't me immediately. Yeah. After. <laughs> <laughs> so these I, I want to make clear here in the Midwest, these two young women are riding alone and were never bothered or accosted by people at all that they met on the highway at all. And this is like abandoned roads are dangerous yeah you can get like robbed you could get taken like and they just everybody they melt met helped them oh, it was so cool awesome it's like a really positive part of this story right it's like the people were being cool the police were like what are you doing in those pants though so it's normal <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly just like every day um, so on September 5th, the sisters reached San Francisco, having tri- traveled 5,500 miles when they meant to go 3,800 miles because they just detoured themselves around. Um, but then they get there and they're like, we have some gas left. So like, whatever about San Francisco. And then they go to Los Angeles and there then they're go. like, well, wait, why don't we just go to like Tijuana? <laughs> So they go to Mexico. <laughs> These girls are crazy. They go to they go to Tijuana for for a little bit of fun. And before nine eleven, we could all do oh, that. But we now we can't. All done that. Uh, now we're not allowed to cross the border anymore <laughs> into Mexico, and they won't let us back. I let it cross the border in Seattle County right now. Am I right? <laughs> this pandemic. <laughs> um, stop. Sorry. <laughs> So they traveled for 60 days and over 5,000 miles and became the second and third women to cross the U.S. by motorcycle. But they were by single motorcycle. So here's what's important. Effie Hotchkiss had actually traveled by motorcycle across the country the year before them. So she left in 1915, but she was... 16 years old when her brother taught her how to ride a motorcycle and she just was just like I have an ambition to be the first woman to cross the country in a motorcycle but her motorcycle can I say motorcycle again (laughs) had a side Uh, I'd actually prefer if you switch to chopper okay (laughs) her Harley Davidson chopper had a sidecar and her mother went with her no so cute right oh my god Effie and Avis (laughs) traveled the country ahead of time the whole year earlier and they went straight across the country and they actually did it in about the same time two months and they took a jar of water from the atlantic ocean and poured it in the pacific which is very cute but like their story is kind of uneventful not unimportant but yeah. like uneventful and that's how global warming started <laughs> <laughs> don't cross the streams don't mix the oceans 
ocean mixing against the rules <laughs> but they were the first so i wanted to put them in there but with a sidecar you have all these extra wheels ah uh, yeah four wheels no soul four <laughs> <laughs> jedediah would not have been moved by a sidecar <laughs> just his actual name i hope he doesn't listen springfield love you uh, <laughs> so they had finished they did it they were there. There were pictures of their journey. They were in newspapers all over the country. And the media was like, hip, hip, hooray. <laughs> God, if you just didn't have vaginas, this would be fantastic. <laughs> we would love it. We would love it. <laughs> so reports in leading magazines decided to praise the bikes and not no! the girls. They were like, well, I hate that. our bikes are so good that they could even get women across the country, <laughs> <laughs> which is terrible. I hate that. Uh, yeah, it's really bad. And the journey was described in some newspapers as a fun vacation for the Van Buren girls because, you know, they're they were on holiday. Uh, they're on holiday. <laughs> uh, and one newspaper said that the sisters were using national preparedness platform to escape their role as housewives and, quote, display their feminine counters in nifty khakis and leather uniforms. I should have named the cocktail Nifty Khaki. <laughs> it's hitting me now. I'm always wearing my school uniform. Am I right? <laughs> Nifty Khakis from Target. <laughs> so- you mean Flynn and O'Hara? <laughs> <laughs> Our local uniform store. <laughs> if you have not, if you've bought something from Flynn and O'Hara, <laughs> holla at us. Holla at us, and I will send I- you a swatch <laughs> of my uniform skirt. I'm not kidding. I have it. I will cut a swatch <laughs> and send it to you. They even sell matching scrunchies. <laughs> they did. I know they did. They did and do. <laughs> so despite the success of the sisters uh the military rejected their application what? after all of this and two months on the road being awesome all the newspapers the military is like yeah you can't be dispatch writers which they could have told them at the beginning and they did <laughs> so Addie decides i'm gonna continue my education and she received her law degree from new york what? university when female lawyers were practically unheard of And then Gussie became a pilot and joined Amelia Earhart's 99's International Women Flying Organization. These women are the coolest. They're very cool. I can't even understand it. Both of them lived full lives with careers that thrilled them and they had family that loved them and rallied around them. They witnessed women earning the right to vote just a few years later. And then they cheered female patriots who rushed to the workforce during World War II. They were early pioneers in pushing the envelope for female contribution to society. There is a book about their journey that came out in 2012 called Grace and Grit by Bill Murphy. But he goes by William Murphy because it sounds too much like Bill Murray, Mm -hmm. I assume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now there are a lot of female writers in the United States. Female writers are a big part of American culture today and they look for each other so they can ride together. The Misfires were founded by Karina Mantelo and, or yeah, Mantelo. And um, she said that women have been doing this forever, but I never saw another woman when I was on the road. So she put out a call for women to join her group. 
And this group says that it was a thing we didn't think we needed until we had it. And now we don't know what we do without it. I love that. It's kind of like that. Um, there's that motorcycle ride that happens for the missing and murdered indigenous women. Mm-hmm. They rode like thousands and thousands of miles just trying to tell people like, hey, like it's such a cool thing that like I love that people can gather up and be like, we don't have a whole lot of like political power, say, but we can do this one thing. So why not fucking do it? I love that. Yeah. And then she said that it's a really important part of her group that they connect younger riders with older riders, like different generations. So her group went and met with Becky Brown, who founded Women of the Wind in the 70s. And they had, she said the same thing. I didn't see any female riders. I wanted to meet some female riders. So she put an ad in the paper to find more women riders. And now there are 250 <gasps> chapters around the world. That's insane. Of women in the wind because of these ladies. The Van Buren family has carried on their legacy and pushed their story into Americana as a way for us to remember both how far we've come and how far we need to go. In 2002, the sisters were inducted into the American Motorcycle Hall of Fame. In 2006, their journey was retracked by their great nephew. (gasps) That's so cool. (laughs) And then in 2016, they had a centennial motorcycle group for the sisters who did the 100-year journey as a tribute to them. India Motorcycle sponsored it because, of course, they were the ones that had given them the initial motorcycles. So they bought the initial motorcycles. And, you know, 100 years later, people decided we're going to ride across the country to remember the example set by the Van Buren sisters. Women can do the exact tasks that men do. And I'll prove it to you. (laughs) And everybody has shirts and bumper stickers with Gussie's slogan. Women can, if she will. And that's the story of the Van Buren sisters. I love it. They're so cool. They really are cool. (laughs) I don't even understand how they do what they do. Like, It's very neat to be like, I'm 32 and I'm just going to ride across the country now. See ya. Yeah. Because at that point, that's like old maid status. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially in that time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They're 32 and 27. That's insane to get across the country. So very fun. Very fun little ladies. (laughs) All right. Well, now we need to talk about all these ladies together uh, in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay, so, I mean, I think first and foremost, like, I love that you said a life of privilege, like, they came from a life of privilege, because I feel like all the women in this story did. They did. And it's funny, because sometimes a life of privilege does exactly what I said earlier, lead to boredom. Yeah. And when you get into that boredom, there is this space of innovation. Yeah. Where you're like, I'm going to change this. Yeah. No, exactly. Because I feel like for some women, they're like, yeah, like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to do it. But like not all people who get born into that life want to pursue that path. And I love that we kind of have like four women who like just decided to like go off the path. Like I just think it's so interesting that their stories kind of followed like a similar track of like, I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't want to. So, and like they kind of like, I don't know, like lit like you said like they lived like 
full lives after that like all four of them did but they both just they all did all four of them just did such cool things in their life <laughs> they did and it's hard because like a lot of times like women in privilege it's like yes you're in a hard time yes this is world war one and that almost kind of gets the boys out of your way mm -hmm. a little so that you can just pursue things and do things and it's something that women in women in poverty don't have the right to do yeah um because we've talked about before that women in poverty sometimes escape the chains of womanhood like for example when we did um pirate ching shi she probably didn't have her feet bound because right. she wasn't rich enough yeah so that's great yeah but then it's like also like if you're living in a really impoverished neighborhood and you have 10 kids you don't have time to ride a motorcycle across the country right <laughs> yeah. i don't have time to cut or, out paper fairies yeah exactly like you don't have access to the things that these women did i don't have like, that really expensive book with that poem to yeah. cut out the fairies or i can't buy a motorcycle right. like an expensive motorcycle yeah that can get across the country it is just like i don't know and i think it's really important to point out that and but also like the fact that there's a common element in both of these stories that they were from the same exact time so like no matter how much money your family has you're all living through wartime which really fucking sucks like living like you know elsie and francis were a little more involved i think because the war was being fought in their country it's it's a hometown war yeah like Francis describes coming to England and being like, why are all the houses dark? And they're like, oh, this is a blackout. Like, we have to make sure that, like, they can't find the fucking town. So, like, this is what it is. And she was like, what is happening? You know, which is like, I don't know. Like, I think that wartime in a weird way kind of brings people together of like, no matter what your situation is, it kind of brings you together because you're all like, man, I hate this. It's kind of like. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, I, no, I know what you mean. It's, it's a moment of like, hey, listen, we can all agree on this one thing. And that is that this sucks. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really interesting to see how two children dealt with the Great War and how two adult women dealt with the Great War. Because I think that for Elsie and Francis, they were looking for some way to like mentally escape. And um, the interesting part that I, I didn't mention this, but Francis talks about how she was like, I didn't see fairy. She was like, I saw fairies when I was a kid. And then the next time I saw a fairy was in my kitchen when my kids were being crazy and disruptive. And my husband was away in World War Two. And she was like, and a fairy popped up on my countertop, which kind of leads me to believe that like they were caused by like stress trauma. and trauma. trauma she was like that's how i got away from it for the first time and like i guess that's how i'll get away from it now you know because children do develop like defense mechanisms it's true and it's it's funny because all of these people share one thing in common and it's that they're female mm -hmm. and the thing they aren't supposed to do is be a part of the war yeah and yet all four of them are out getting muddy and wet mm -hmm. and dirty and they're being told they're not supposed to. Yep. So these young girls dealt with it by saying, oh, well, I'll just create something in my head. Mm -hmm. Whereas these women are like, no, nah, fuck you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like because they had like you can't as a young girl like stand up against society all the time. I mean, unless you're Greta. Right. And, <laughs> and be like, no, I'm not going to listen to you right now because they just didn't have that ability. Whereas you know, Addie and Gussie did. 
Right. And the, the whole point of their mission, which I think is so interesting, is that they wanted to help. And it must have been so frustrating having, you know, being like, I am capable and I am willing to fucking volunteer for this. And they're like, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, and it's like, what more could you ask for of like, you know, and like you talk about like the social barrier being bigger than the Rockies. And I felt like that was it for both of them. Like they both wanted to be, I feel like all four of these girls wanted to be taken seriously. Like, I think there was a real part of Elsie that was like, I want to be taken seriously as an artist, but she couldn't be because she was a 16 year old girl, right. you know? And then you have these girls that are like, I want to be taken seriously as just frankly, a member of society <laughs> and you won't let me, I'm getting arrested for wearing pants when we have bigger issues to deal with right now. And not only will you not let me, but the media is going to cover oh me like gosh. I'm a liar, like it's a hoax, like yeah. it was a vacation, like it was the motorcycle that did it. The media did all of these women a disservice. I wrote news coverage is bullshit in mm-hmm. my notes because Fake I, news. yeah, <laughs> I really do feel like it. You're right. It did both all of them such a disservice because it undermined them, mm. which society has been doing to women for years and years and years, you know, and it, like it is very frustrating to see how like it doesn't matter how old you are. Like it's frustrating to me that, you know, like, you know, let's see, Francis was probably like 11 or 12. So it an 11 year old girl is treated the same as a 36 year old woman in the news. It's crazy. <laughs> Not that I think that 11 year old girls should be treated poorly in the news, but it's like, you know, you have these two girls saying they saw fairies in the garden and they're kind of treated with the same, like, ha ha as like two women who rode across country well, and it's on d- motorcycles. It's because people didn't see the Van Buren's as women. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's just some girls. They're not married. They're not this. They're not that. They're just some girls. I don't know. I thought the best thing you said was um, that there was this need to make the world a happier place. Yeah. And I think that they were all trying to do that, but almost for themselves, but also for others. It's a very, I think is what everybody's kind of trying to do. Yeah. And you have to do whatever you do to make it okay. And I've, I've seen that from a lot of people in 2020. Oh, like, yeah. I'm just trying to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it takes motorcycles or fairies, I'm going to make it through. Yeah. Well, and that's why I love that quote. Like, you know, she can if she will. Like, you know, like just this whole thing of like, if you want to do it, then you can do it. And if you want to believe in fairies, you can. Just you're right. Whatever helps you kind of make it through. Because as we have learned, you're right in the past year, like just baking banana bread doesn't fix everyone's problems this year like but it might fix yours it might fix yours and that's such a great thing but we all need to find solutions that work for us because the greater world is not coming to save us and we've got a while to go yeah Mm. so to end on a happy note (laughs) (laughs) i got so depressed so how do we do that on such a kind and fun episode all right let's toast all right Allie who do you want to toast this evening so I want to toast (laughs) reckless decisions that turn out okay Mm. um and I don't mean ones that are really bad for you like addiction (laughs) or like speeding or driving drunk or whatever but 
I like that they were just like, you know what? We're already late. Let's make a record by going up to Pikes Peak. Let's do it. And it's like, yes, we got caught in mud. And yes, we had to go find these miners for help. But you know what else? We did it. Yeah. And so good for you for your reckless, reckless behavior. (laughs) That turned out okay. I'm glad you didn't die in the mountains. Yeah. (laughs) What do you got? I am going to toast the believers of this world. It's really difficult to believe in, frankly, anything nowadays. So if you want to believe in fairies or gnomes or Bigfoot or whatever, I just am here for it. If it makes your world a little happier, then that's okay. So cheers to cheers. people who believe. To the believers. <laughs> Unless you believe that the moon landing didn't happen. Oh, yeah. In then, which case, no, 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 go no. away. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably toast to some believers. <laughs> believers. I agree with this only. the thing. Because I really honestly believe, like, if your beliefs, like, don't harm anyone else, yeah. then it's so not a big if deal. You, if you love conspiracies, do it. Who cares? Fine, whatever. whatever. But Cheers but to it, you. Yeah, cheers. Whatever. Cheers to <laughs> Cheers to being crazy, (laughs) but I love it. All right, Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week in 2021? So I wrote one thing down, but I'm saying another thing. Okay, so the new Pixar movie that came out on Disney Plus, Soul, Mm -hmm. is very, very good. Did you watch it yet? Nope. It's very cute. It's very, very Pixar. And like, this is an existential. 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 (laughs) This is an existential like situation. And you're learning about yourself through it. Yeah. But I'm not solely promoting this movie because I saw somebody I don't like very much post on Facebook. Soul is the what they what Pixar wanted Inside Out to be. And I don't think that's fair to Inside Out because this particular person does not have children. And I'm not against people that don't have children at all. I just think that when you watch Inside Out, you're in the mind of a child and in which is a girl. Uh And in Soul, you're in the the mind of an adult male. Yeah. So you have to see the movies as separate. Yeah. They're not about being inside of the same mind. And I was just like very off put by this person who was just like, oh, this is the movie they meant to make the first time. And it was like, no, they they meant to make both. Yeah. Why can't they both exist? Yeah, they can both exist. And Soul was really good. And I didn't cry nearly as much as Inside Out. I loved Soul. I thought it was great. It was beautiful. It taught you lessons. It taught you about life. But so did Inside Out. And just because it's a little girl in that movie does not mean it's not good. And I thought of it as you were talking about your um, story because it just really it hit me the wrong way. But I didn't realize it until you were talking about the creativity of those little girls. Yeah. Yeah. It's not okay to just be like Inside Out's not good because the character is a 13-year-old girl who's struggling. Yeah. It's a great movie. So fuck you and so soul. Agreed. <laughs> Get on my So watch bandwagon. both of them and just cry. Cry all day. Ooh. Um, <laughs> what do so, you have that's nicer than that? Uh, mine is the silliest show I have seen in such a long time. Um, Angie Tribeca. <laughs> I told you about this the other day. Yeah. And I fucking love it so much. It's the dumbest show and I'm obsessed with it. It's like I told Allie, it's like Brooklyn Nine-Nine if it were only jokes and only puns <laughs> like it's so silly it's just a silly show like 
I don't know. I love it. And it's um, starring Rashida Jones, who is so perfect. I mean, she's fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's on like, so we've been watching that and Fargo and Fargo is like a really heavy show. So like we found, we feel like we have like a really good pairing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Your wine and your cheese. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I'm just, if you're in the mood for something really light and silly, like, watch Angie Tribeca it's on Hulu and it's so great and Rashida Jones is perfect yeah she really is um all right I think that's it find us everywhere please do join us in all of the social media places send us emails send us messages we love to deal with your requests obviously we take our Patreon requests first we care most about them. Yeah. Like <laughs> they said, deal with. <laughs> I said, we can't. We take most of our Patreon requests first. No, no. Before you that, you're like, we can deal with your requests. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we love the requests. They're so great because sometimes we really honestly don't know who to do next. So yeah. this is perfect. So very good job, everybody. <laughs> good job. Um, yeah, find us in everything, uh, rate and review us on Apple podcasts. Um, that is like the most wonderful and helpful and appreciated. Um, and yeah, we love you very much and we want you to never forget that well-behaved women keep three points of contact when they're moving things up the stairs. That's true. I did not do that with my table today and they rarely make history. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Goodbye. Except for our Patreons. You guys stay. 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 Find us on Patreon. Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.